1: And I can see there are many men in this room right now that said, honey, you stay home with the kids because the weather is kind of eh, and I'll go to church. That's what you need to do. That's a good thing to do. Y'all come on, clap your hands and say amen. That's a, that's a good thing to do. Husbands, you lead the family. You be the spiritual leader. We need husbands and we need men who are willing to take the lead. And again, I tell you all the time, and I really mean this, I love this about this church. We have so, people have commented on it. Well, you have so many men in this church. Thank you, Grandma. Oh, there's so many men in this church. You know why so many men in this church? Because we don't have no drama. Drama free zone. <laughs> Amen. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Huh? <laughs> Church is just too dramatic for me. We don't have no drama. And and men, we like to learn. We like to, you gotta appeal to this. Don't all this emotion stuff, okay? That might be good for a Sunday, but what about Monday? And then Tuesday and Wednesday, and then what about the next year? And my the Bible says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. People are dying. Spiritually, because they don't know the word, and largely because the husbands are sitting back, with letting their wives lead. Men, we got to do better. And I thank God for this church because we're kind of the exception to the rule. Most churches, and ladies, don't get me wrong, love y'all to pieces. But God didn't call you to lead. And if you, when you look for a husband, if he's not going to lead you spiritually, listen, this is your litmus test right here. Y'all go out on a date and he don't say, let's pray. All right. Y'all go out on another date and another date. And he ain't once said to you, hey, well, you know what? Let's this date night. Let's have some ice cream and read the Bible. If he don't do stuff like that, run for us, run. (laughs) I'm telling you, get the stepping. Tell him there's the doubt. Not door, do <laughs> Write it down. You're going to need to remember that. Right? Because we're living in a culture where the role of the husband and the father is being mocked. And sometimes it's just not there. Even if the husband is there, sometimes that's not there. Well, in verse 17, we got to move forward. Abner said, you guys been talking about allowing David to rule over U.S. King. Verse 18, now then do it. C.H. Spurgeon has a whole sermon on now then, do it. I love that. He has a sermon on. Now, I love, I study sermons. I study sermons. Uh, I love to read old sermons. Don't you love to read old sermons? They're just great. They just got good stuff in them and some stuff I don't understand, but it's still good stuff in them and it's great. And Sermon, and Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, wrote a sermon. On now, then, do it. Now, that's some good writing right there. And in the sermon, he shows the principle that Israel embraced David as king. Israel talked about making David as king, but they wouldn't allow him to be king. They wouldn't crown him king. They might have meant to gather together and say, oh, I wish David were king. They might even admit that he should be the king, but they wouldn't do it. They had to allow David to rule over their lives. Somebody once said, until the deed is done, remember you're undone. Until the deed is done, remember you're undone. In other words, until you accept Jesus as your king, he is not your king. And you can talk about it, you can wish for it, you can hope it happens, but you have to do it. And remember, the sooner the better. Because if Jesus is not your master, then the devil is. Somebody say amen. Somebody once said, uh, uh, "Till sin is hated and Jesus is trusted, you are under another king. Until sin is hated and Jesus is trusted, you're under another king. Interesting, the request for king... For David to be king comes from Abner and not David. Although David was the rightful king, David would not reign over Israel until they submitted to him willingly. Ding, 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 ding. Sound familiar? Jesus won't move an inch in your life without invitation. Huh? Huh? He won't come into your life and into your heart as king until you invite him. You have to invite. Remember, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking and the door handle is on your side and you have to grab that handle. Somebody listen to me. You have to grab that handle and open that door and then the Lord will come in. He ain't going to kick the door in. He ain't gonna kick the door in because he's a gentleman. Number one, and number two, what good does it do for him to kick the door in to come into your life? For you to only resist and 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 not want him in your life, and and why would he do that? He won't. So it is interesting that Abner is the one to address, you know, the the the, the lordship, the kingship of David over the people. And not David. Well, look at verse 20. Abner and 20 men come to David in Hebron, and they bring Michael. Verse 20 tells us that David made a feast for Abner and the men. And that's interesting because David has changed so much since we first met him, hasn't he? Who's been with me since 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1? Who's been with me since? Okay, then you know, hasn't David changed a lot? He has changed a lot up to this point. Verse 1 tells us it was a long war between David and Saul, and David is not bitter. He is not vindictive. He receives them. He makes a feast for them. Verse 21, Abner said to David, I will go and gather all Israel. So they come and they make a covenant with you, and you can reign and fulfill your heart's desire. So Abner went in peace, and Abner wanted David's reign to be fully realized over the people of God. Well, look at verse 22 through um, let's read through 30 verse 22 through 30. All right. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid. This is interesting and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron for he sent him away and he had gone in peace. Second time we see he went in peace. And when, Ab- and when Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he sent him away, and he's gone in peace. Third time. Then Joab came to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away? And, 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 and he's already gone. surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know that all that you were doing. And when, pardon me, Joab, when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner who brought him back from the well of Sirah. But David did not know it. And when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately. And there stabbed him in the stomach. So that he died for the blood of Ashel his brother. Afterward, when David heard about it, he said, my kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever ever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner, lest it rest on the head of Joab and on his father's house. And let there never fail to be in the house of Joab, one who has a discharge or a leper. And this is putting a curse on somebody. All right. May there never fail to be a discharge. Now, I'm going to leave that alone. All right. Or a leper who leans on a staff or falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he now they're telling us why he killed him. Are you with me? So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed his brother Ashel at Gibeah in the battle. So the servants of David. And Joab come back from a raid and they brought back spoils. Although Abner wasn't with David because David had sent Abner away and said, go in peace. So Joab learns that David sent Abner away. Look at verse 24. Joab said to the king, why did you send him away? And now he's gone. If I were David, I would have said, first of all, who are you talking to? You don't talk to the king like that. You better recognize. You don't talk to the king like that. Your Highness, David's the king. Joab, why'd you let him go? Why'd you do that? You don't talk to the king like that. That's not the way you address the king. But again, David, as we've talked about, being a type of Jesus, how many times have we talked to King Jesus that way? We say, why have you done this in my life? Or why haven't you given me a husband yet? Oh, what are you doing? Joab said to David, what are you doing? Why did you send Abner away? Don't you know he actually came to deceive you just to find out what you were doing? Now, listen, Joab is telling David that Abner came to deceive him. And note note this, it takes one to know one. Because Joab is accusing David of being a liar and he's actually, uh, what what he's doing is is, he's accusing Abner uh, uh, of doing, uh, what he's accusing Abner of doing, he's doing himself. You know, the old adage, you know, my sin looks terrible on you. Well, look at verse 26. There's a debate as to where this well is. Some say it's a mile north of Hebron. Some say it's. Two and a half miles. It, it, it really doesn't matter. The point is he was far. So Joab brought Abner back, told Abner that the king wants to talk to him. But notice the Bible says David didn't know anything about it. Abner gets to Hebron. Joab said, hey, let me talk to you. He takes him aside and then he stabbed him in the stomach and he died. And if you're reading the King Jimmy, it says he stabbed him under the fifth rib. Are you reading King Jimmy? Under the fifth rib. Now remember his brother Ashiel. Remember Fleetfoot? Remember him? He was killed and Joab was running. Abner was running from him. Remember? And Abner's running. He got his sword and he's running. He's like, he's like Ashiel, stop chasing me, man. Ashiel's Fleetfoot. That means he can run really fast like a gazelle. So he's catching up. And he's like, man, stop running. I, you Stop trying to, man, I'm, I don't want to kill you. Stop, stop, stop. And he wouldn't stop. And after, he, he he's a very strategic military guy. He just stopped, turned around with his sword like this, and Fleetfoot was running so fast, he ran right into the sword. And he stabbed him, the Bible says, under the fifth rib. So what we have here, saints, is very much an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. An eye for an eye was common in that culture and still is in some cultures today. And this is hard for us to understand because in that culture, very common for a family member to avenge blood. They even had a place to go once they avenged blood. They called it the city of refuge. Write this down. I got to talk like fast. Write this down. The city of refuge. The city of refuge is talked about in three places in the Bible. Numbers 35, Deuteronomy and Joshua. Um, The city of refuge, you have to keep in mind that this is the days before police, prisons or penitentiaries. It was largely up to the family to maintain order in the community. They were basically two crimes that were dealt with. Capital crimes like murder, sexual assault, rape, disobedience to parents. Disobedience to parents was penalty death. Amen. I'm not gonna say what I think about that one. The other crime is against a person. For example, robbery, you had to pay five times the value of what was stolen. But then there were crimes that were kind of vague. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. There were crimes that were kind of vague. For example, you have a car accident and you kill someone. You didn't intentionally kill that person, it was an accident, you know, like a a car accident. If you killed a man and it was by accident, then you could flee to the city of refuge and stay there. If you killed the man, it was custom that your family would avenge the blood of the family member. This is interesting. Hear me. This word avenger is the word goel. G-O-E-L. Goel. We have the word or we understand that word to mean Redeemer or kinsman Redeemer The kinsman redeemer or A ransom or avenge Or venge. so you as the Family member were duty bound to seek And destroy the person who killed Your family member and listen This could go on like the Hatfields and McCoys This could go on for centuries. So the city of refuge was a safe place. It was a place where you could go if it was an accident. The city of refuge was provided, and this is important. The city of refuge was provided by God, not man. Man did not come up with this idea. These cities came out of the heart and the mind of God. The city was brought to you by grace. They were provided by grace. God could have allowed anyone who killed anyone for any reason to die point blank done. But he provided the city of refuge. Now, here's the application. Listen, every man, woman, boy and girl is born a sinner. And it isn't our fault. Somebody say amen. We are born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We're born with a sin nature. We are in, uh, uh, in inherited uh, uh, sin from Adam and there is a death sentence on all of us. And even though it isn't our fault, we are born this way. It is our fault if we stay this way. The avenger of blood, the enemy, is after us. And what we all need is a safe place, a place where we can run and hide, a place where the avenger of blood cannot touch us. And for us Christian folk, guess what? That place is not a location. That place is a man. And his name is Jesus. That place is a man. And Psalm 46 tells us, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. The difference in the city of refuge and our our refuge, Jesus, the city of refuge was a place for the innocent, those who had an accident. The place of refuge of Jesus is a place for the guilty. The guilty come and find refuge. One last thing. If the person made it to the city of refuge, the avenger of blood or the family member, um, they took it was a, a court case was heard before a judge, and if the judge determined that the death was accidental, they would give him a place to stay in the city and he was protected as long as he stayed within the city limits. He was safe and secure and would could stay there until the high priest died. Well, in our text, the interesting thing about Joab killing someone, you remember the story. Abner was defending himself. Remember I told you he was running from fleet foot. And, and, and Joab here in the text is violating so much of the rules of the city of refuge. Because, as I told you earlier in the study, to remember this, Hebron is a city of refuge. So Joab is violating so much of the rules of the city of Of refuge. Well, in verse 28 and 29, when David heard this, he said, Lord, let my kingdom be guiltless from this. I don't want any part of this. I don't want the sin of Joab to come down on my people, and there will be all kinds of sickness and disease and God's judgment on us or lack of food because of what Joab has done. I want none to do with this. And then verse 30 again makes it very clear as to why Joab and his brother was involved, as well as Abishai killed Abner because he killed Ashiel, At Gibeon in the battle. Well, verse 31. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. And so they buried Abner where saints? Uh Uh-huh. We read the same Bible. They buried the, they buried Abner where saints? And they, and, and the King lifted up his voice and he wept. At the grave of Abner, and all the people wept, and the king sang and lamented over Abner and said, Should Abner die? This is a song. Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet uh, put into the fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him all again. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. Now all the people took note of it and it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner the son of Ner. And then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today, though anointed king and these men, the sons of Zorah, are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoers according to his wickedness. Now, before you shut your Bibles, listen, David is weeping and mourning over Abner. David issues a royal edict and commands Joab and his army to mourn over Abner and everyone needed to attend the funeral. And David follows the coffin to the place of internment, and they bury Abner in Hebron. And David writes a song about Abner. Don't you remember David wrote a song about Saul, and it was called the song of the bow very good david made it clear abner didn't die because of some foolishness he was never a prisoner during any part of his military career he fell before wicked men who deceived him and the people did you note this are taking note of david's character and loyalty People are watching David and they're seeing a broken man and a man who is weeping. He is not bloodthirsty. He didn't want to see these things happen. And David is setting an example for his army. And people are watching David just like people are watching you. Christian, I told you. People may never read the Bible, but they'll read your life from cover to cover. They will. People are watching you and David's men and all of the kingdom is watching David. Like, how's he going to respond? And and, and David is setting a good example. I told you David has changed because the spirit of God has now come upon him and David is starting to really grow into that position that God has called him. Don't you see that? And the people watched him, and they, and, they, and they saw a man who was broken. The king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? Verse 39, David said, And I'm broken, and I'm weak today. Even though I'm the king, this really, really hurts. Notice David says, Zorah's boys are too much for me. I can't handle them. The Lord will repay the evildoers according to. To his wickedness. Now, just let me leave you with this. Can I encourage you? If you have a Joab in your life, people in your life that are too hard to handle, some of y'all are like, yep, they're right next to me. <laughs> no, I mean, you can handle them, you're married to them. <laughs> but you got a person in your life that's hard to handle, don't seek vengeance. And that is hard to do, especially when you have it within your power to do it. Vengeance is hard to not do when you have the ability to do it. Maybe somebody works for you and you have the ability not to give them a raise, even though they deserve one, but they hurt your feelings. Or they insulted you or they said something to you. You know what? You know know how you avoid all that? When somebody does something that you feel like is a little shady or off color or whatever, you know what you do? You talk to them right away. You don't let one day go by. Don't let five minutes go by. If you can't get them right face to face and you call them on the phone, please don't Twitter nor text them. That's coward. Thank you, sweetie. I'm preaching. That's that's cowardly. You got to tell somebody on uh, Twitter fingers. That's what I call them. You got to tell somebody something on Twitter. That's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not even grown. That's not grown. You don't do that. You tell them face to face. That's how you get by bitterness. Bitterness won't have a chance to become a root of bitterness if you deal with it right away.